Some people have been waiting 15 years for this moment, holding assets, paying down debt on those assets, getting rent on those assets, claiming tax deductions on those assets. And now the perfect storm has arrived. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show is a code-cracking bonanza. We're going to work out how to buy real estate in a rising market. Yes, the tide is not drifting out. It is certainly coming into shore when it comes to real estate. Most real estate around the Australian property market and the New Zealand market property markets are rising in value. When a real estate market rises in value, it also creates a whole bunch of problems for many property investors to overcome. It is certainly not all roses and sunshine. There are things to determine, ways to behave in a rising property marketplace. So I tell you what, today's show, we're going to crack some codes. And if you happen to hear an asthmatic dog walk past the microphone, I apologize. My dog, Hannah, has a bout of asthma. She is uh, coughing and spluttering, which is not too good. Yes, dogs get asthma. I had no idea that that was a thing, but it is a thing. I tell you what, this show is going to be a cracker. Let's hope it's worthwhile. Should we have done it? I don't know, but we'll find out at the end. The other big news for me is I just had a tetanus shot. Yes, I've been shot in the arm with the old tetanus. I haven't got the coronavirus vaccine. I've got the tetanus vaccine. And I've worked out why men go to offices. Yes, men should not work from home because when you work from home as a man, as a male species, you end up having home accidents. I would say I have trod on about five nails in the last five weeks and things are just not getting easy for the home work space. And for me, I've finally come to the conclusion with this particular piercing of my skin from a nail that is time to get the old tetanus shot and uh, certainly I've got a bit of a sore arm. So now we've all caught up, I think it's time to move on to the idea of buying in a rising property market place. Now before I begin, I do want to point out that to become wealthy, you need to invest your wage into something and I think too many people right now are about to miss out on a golden opportunity to capitalize on the real estate marketplace because they are not taking their income and investing it in a asset that then pays them they are blowing it they are blowing their funds they are blowing their wages and they are not going to become wealthy unless they change their habit. Now, as like everyone, I voyeur on Instagram and things like that every now and then, I can tell you people are posting that they're at dinner at, you know, a beautiful restaurant tonight like it's a badge of honour. It's actually not a badge of honour. You shouldn't be spending the money right now on dumb things. If you can save $20,000, dollars $50,000 quickly, you should be like literally put yourself in a uh, home isolation because if you miss this one, you're potentially missing the greatest property boom of all time. So it's not good enough to say, I don't have the money today. You've got to stop spending, start saving because if you ask any millionaire out there in society, they became millionaires because they worked their wage hard. They didn't get born a millionaire and there is no such thing as a naturally born gifted property investor. 
We all worked out that we shouldn't spend our money at JB Hi-Fi and own dumb shit. We should keep our money and take it and invest it in the property marketplace. So I think it's a very important statement. If you can put yourself in a position to buy this year, if you can save and get into the market by the end of the year, you're going to catch some growth. And the rising market, the rising tide, it's happening all over Australia. And I tell you what, I would not want to miss this one. Because will you get a second chance in 2023, 2024? I don't think so. I think if you miss this wealth effect, you're going to be sidelined from, from wealth, from real estate for quite a long time. It is not common to see just about every real estate marketplace in the country going up. And it is all going up in value. The hyperinflation of transferring money which is worthless into the bank, into the real estate economy is creating huge amounts of demand and huge amounts of capital growth. So the rising market is here. And I tell you what, I teach people to buy in a rising market, but I also teach people to buy at the bottom of the market. And I think anyone who is shopping right now kind of probably wishes that they got involved with the real estate market when it was at the bottom because really when the real estate market's at the bottom of its cycle, there's more choice for you as a buyer. Uh, It's easier to get better terms and conditions for you uh, and your finance. It's easier to buy a better location. And quite often people who buy at the bottom of the market become very sad. Yes, they do. They become sad because they don't get this instant gratification of growth in one week. And they quite often question themselves as to whether they've done the right thing. And when you do buy at the bottom of the market, quite often it's two, three, four, five years before you see this level of growth come into the economy. However, it does allow you to get a discount. It does allow you to play it safe, take your time, work through all the contracts, work through all the due diligence that you need to buy real estate. So there is a lot to be said about buying at the bottom of the marketplace. And I know many of my clients, I've trained them to buy at the bottom of the marketplace and many of them do freak out. And I think we can all learn a lesson right now because if you go shopping right now, real estate is being sold that quickly, you could probably sell a property today faster than selling a suit. And you think about that for a minute, that People are making million-dollar decisions walking into a property and seeing it once. Or even today making half a million-dollar property decisions, life decisions, buying sight unseen real estate, buying in Brisbane from Sydney without even going there, without even knowing if they're buying on the right side of the track. A rising market is a marketplace that creates so much excitement that the fear of missing out fundamentally drives people absolutely bonkers. They come into the market with great gusto. They often do very well in the short term. But if you get it wrong buying in a rising market, you can just uh, bet on that you will probably end up with a bit of a lemon. So today's show is really crucial because over the short term, I think most property is going to jump from uh, whatever its value is today to a value much higher. A $500,000 asset is going to go to $600,000. But there will be a tipping point where the best properties that reach that $600,000 and hold their value and other properties when there is a contraction decline in value. After expansion 
comes contraction. We are now going in an expansion phase. After contraction comes expansion. The property market contracted when coronavirus hit. It is now expanding. After contraction comes expansion. But after expansion comes contraction. So buying in a rising market is critical because if you want to make money, you're probably going to make it. But it's the holding of that money, the maintaining of that wealth, that asset that you choose, if it holds its value in tougher times, is really the signal that you've done done so well. Now, my first caveat to buying in a rising market, if you don't understand, just don't do it. If you don't understand anything about real estate, do not necessarily just jump in, gusto, and hope you're going to be successful. Go and find a team that can help you do it. And of course, if you do understand, well, you're well-placed to take advantage of a pretty critical time in Australian and also New Zealand real estate. If we look at the property cycles, if we look at the property clock, we can see Adelaide's rising in value, Brisbane's rising in value, Melbourne is rising in value, Perth is rising in value, Sydney is rising in value. All our marketplaces are going up at once. Now, remember, I teach the five properties in five cities plan. I've done a podcast on that. Go back if you need to. But if you own five good assets right now in any city, your value proposition is absolutely incredible. Now, remember, only about 1% of property investors, of property investors, about 20,000 people, all up own five or more pieces of real estate. Now, for those people, by the end of this cycle, they'll be up a million dollars. I'm looking to make over a million dollars over this rising marketplace. So think about the inequality of what is about to occur for people who choose not to play the game, who are spending their wage at JB Hi-Fi, who are posting on Instagram, I'm at Fluffy Ducks and I'm smashing the Fluffy Duck. Mate, get your head together, put the Fluffy Duck down, save some money. I was speaking to a lady today, she can save around $40,000 over the next six months. She's got a $40,000 deposit right now. Her buying power is not good enough to take on a great asset. I explained to her, stay out of the market, save every penny, eat beans and rice. Get yourself $40,000. That will translate into buying a $500,000 asset. Take your 40 that you've got in the bank, save another 40. You're at 80. We're going to get you a quality asset, which is going to hold its value into the future. She may miss 20 grand of the marketplace, but she is not jumping into a shit property in a shit location She's going to play the rising market game, which involves a tad amount of patience. So we've got to keep our heads really, really in tune because I tell you what is going on out there is clickbait. Property market reports of booms are going to be left, right and center. I guarantee you, fast forward about a year, we will be hearing the bubble report, the bubble report. So all markets are rising and then you've got a lot of undersupply. Now, my last podcast, go back one if you need to. I talked about the market trends of what is going on. Melbourne undersupplied, Brisbane undersupplied, Hobart, Perth, all undersupplied property marketplaces. So we've got to go into an undersupplied property marketplace and buy a quality piece of real estate. That is very difficult. If you look at stock on the market today, there is none. In my suburb, as I alluded to last podcast, there is one property in my suburb for sale. And guess what? Because it's a lifestyle suburb, everyone wants to live here. 
What does that do to the value of that one asset being taken to market? The vendor is in control. The vendor is going to win. People are going to pay a pretty penny for that asset. What's going to happen to people who maintain their assets as investors in this neighborhood? They're going to make money. Money's going to go up by virtue of other real estate selling at a higher price. And so you as a property investor need to be prepared to play in the monopoly market, which we have right now, the rising value monopoly marketplace. So we've got, as I alluded to in the last podcast, no supply, we've got lots of demand, and we've got this huge $320 billion government stimulus pushing up asset values. Money in the bank is worthless, real estate is anchored to the cost of money, and real estate is going up. So we're going to work out how to buy in a rising market. And I think quite often when we analyze any marketplace, it is about the macro, it is about the micro, and it is about property at a niche level. So we're going to learn today, and the value bombs today is all about walking away with some basic tips so you can know how to research, have a look at real estate, perhaps make some offers on real estate and put yourself in a position to capitalize on this wealth journey many people will go through. Remember, property investors who are pros that own oodles of real estate will make another million dollars over this cycle. People who are not even playing the game will be left behind. So I do urge you, take advantage of a rising market because... They come along every so often, and when they come along, they're a beautiful thing. Some people have been waiting 15 years for this moment, holding assets, paying down debt on those assets, getting rent on those assets, claiming tax deductions on those assets, and now the perfect storm has arrived. It's not often all real estate markets go up in the country, but I tell you what, we are seeing that at the moment. And that is creating a real headache, again, to buy easily. And again, in a soft market, it's just so simple. Make an offer, bash the vendor, kick the vendor in the knackers, uh, put in a low offer, put in some crazy terms, walk away, there's another deal. Now we're finding that we are having a real disconnect with people who are rushing out and trying to buy and then spending so much time and energy working on the wrong type of property that they wear themselves down and they almost surrender to buying a terrible property because of the effort involved in buying a property. So I want to give you some steps and tips so you don't put the effort into following the wrong real estate. And when you follow the wrong real estate in a rising market, you convince yourself that you need to buy that wrong real estate because there is nothing else to buy. You become exhausted and you fall victim to buying an inferior piece of real estate. Not all real estate is good, guys. Let's face facts. There's some pretty crummy real estate locations there's some pretty ordinary real estate dwellings out in the marketplace. We want the good stuff. We want the needle in the haystack and we've got to work hard to get there. So I'll tell you what, step one, before you even get into the market, you need to make sure you have an alignment with what you want as an end game. What are you doing this for? What is the purpose of your acquisition? Do they align with your goals? Do they align with your finance reality? In a slow market, almost you can uh, work out finance later because the vendor has a lack of options of buyers to sell to. In a fast market, you need to be prepared to have finance ready so you're not fundamentally wasting people's time. Because you can put a contract on a property and if you're not finance ready 
you will literally put yourself in a position where fundamentally you could often go unconditional on a hundred and you know five hundred thousand dollar asset without an approval. This is kind of madness, right? And a lot of people think they know what they want from real estate and they run around um, trying to find a property before they've gone out and spoken to their bank or broker. Now, in real estate, it's quite common to get what is known as a pre-approval. A pre-approval is an amount you can technically borrow from a bank or a lender. And it's a good guideline to give you a stepping stone on what type of real estate you can go out and buy. Pre-approval for 600000 700000 400000 Go and work out what you can spend. Now, I prefer as a rule in a rising market to use a broker over a bank because a broker is going to have multiple different ways to assess your approval capacity. Remember, a pre-approval does not mean you will qualify for the loan. It is simply uh, almost like an in-principle suggestion that you are capable of getting money. But then there is the security itself. Is the real estate high risk? Is it low risk? Banks can change their minds at any time. But at a bare minimum, your approval or your servicing from a qualified broker will give you a really good guideline as to what you can spend. Remember, in a rising marketplace, it's not a good idea to waste people's time because you may just uh, waste someone's time or a real estate agent's time on an asset and you fall over on that asset and then you want to do it again. Now you've worked out, oh, I need to get these finances in order before I go shopping. That real estate agent may not want to know a bar of you because you're fundamentally costing uh, time and money to, to the marketplace. The second tip that I love to, to teach in a rising market is really know how to surf the marketplace. Yes, surf. Uh, we as property investors today have some amazing tools in the digital world to use to surf the marketplace. We can do it in the comfort of our own home. Uh, we can narrow down our searches using surfing techniques. So for me, I'll give you some websites, obviously, I use to surf. And I think understanding those websites will give you a broader overview of how to narrow down where you want to invest. The first one for me is SQM Research. I love it because it explains to me uh, what is going on in the rental market. Second one is Microburbs, a great analyzer on really the sophistication of a suburb, whether it's trendy, whether it's a family-orientated area, whether it's really quite a downtrodden socioeconomic zone, which potentially you might need to stick clear of. Obviously, you got real estate portals like realestate.com and domain.com. I use a thing called Cordell's. Cordell's allows me to work out town planning inside a neighborhood. It allows me to work out how many development applications are in a neighborhood. Um, that one's a little bit of a sophisticated tool that probably not many uh, households would have access to, but certainly property professionals use all the time. Uh, on the house is a good one. The census quick stats page is a, is a really good one to work out, you know, some neighborhood and community information. I also love Infrastructure Australia to work out where uh, infrastructure is going and whether there are timelines and ramifications of those timelines. And I also love Home ID, which really gives you some population insights into whether a suburb is a grower when it comes to more people moving there into the future. So now you know how to surf, I think we need to start to think about how to go around buying real estate. And in a soft market, quite often, for me, it is about the six Ds, right? The six Ds of finding a deal. And in a soft market, the six Ds work really well. Six Ds are people in distress, uh, 
people who owe the bank, we say the bank to make it a D, money. And quite often you see that mortgagee stress. You've got people who've had a disaster, people who've gone through a recent death. You've got people having a divorce. And you also have developers who quite often uh, need to do deals because they're in the commercial nature of deal making. However, in a rising marketplace, generally sellers are not desperate. It's not likely right now anyone's desperate. So when you think about what you're going to pay for real estate right now, it's fairly unlikely that you're going to rip uh, $100,000 off the purchase price. So knowing that, I think playing that game is a little bit of a moot point. You're going to dance about, you're going to waste your energy, you're going to run yourself ragged, you're going to be tired after weeks of trying to find uh, a Hail Mary opportunity and probably end up buying something out of frustration. Right now in a rising market, people will take sensible offers. You don't need to do what we would call motivating offers of paying way over, but sensible is where we're at right now. When the marketplace ends up in this complete like frenzy, which is probably a year away, a lot of people will be paying what I reference as very motivating offers to sell and or to buy. So right now, we're at that sensible stage, which is really, really, really awesome for you as a property investor to go out and find some real estate to buy. Now, generally, in a soft market, you can use what I refer to as the machine gun effect. You can put out a lot of different offers on real estate and have very little commitment to those offers. And right now, a lot of people are fundamentally trying to uh, not focus on uh, really finding an array of real estate to put in their bag. So to begin with, you kind of need to put around 20 different properties into your toolkit to look at. I know that seems like a lot. The reason you need at least 20 to start with is quite often people start to narrow down to like one piece of real estate and then spend weeks on it, weeks and weeks and weeks on this one deal, thinking that... uh, the market's going to wait for them to make a decision. Now, eventually, we've got to get to one deal. But as a principle kind of concept, you need to have multiple offers out in the marketplace at any one time. You don't have to machine gun the market completely, and it probably would be very hard to do. But working for weeks on a deal that you don't end up buying is probably the worst thing you can do in a rising marketplace because it'll wear you down. You'll realise you've just given up six weekends in a row. You'll realise that you are now, uh, you become crestfallen. You become sad. People come sad. I'm like, I can't find anything. I'm just going to buy this. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm giving up. I'm surrendering. Now, I've seen the ramifications of this I've had uh, even friends who I've been coaching, hey, don't buy this weird real estate. I can't find anything else. I've been looking for so long. The market's worn me down. They go and buy the weird real estate. Guess what happens when the market softens? The weird real estate, which has one window and no balcony, all of a sudden becomes a strange-looking box, not a hot piece of real estate, and the strange-looking box starts to go down in real estate. So for me, my rule number five is to kind of avoid what I call um, faux pas real estate deals. It's a faux pas to go into these deals. 
that they just fundamentally are assets that people won't want. Remember in a rising market, it is very tempting as a vendor who's got a lemon piece of real estate to offload it. Now, I own bucket loans of real estate and I've got one lemon and that lemon is going on to the real estate market. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to take the opportunity to get rid of the lemon and because the market is so crazy with interest, someone's going to buy my lemon. It's going to happen. Now, I'm a capitalist. That's cool. I don't mind. People got to do their own research and work their own world out. But if I'm coaching someone to buy, that's not cool. I would coach you not to buy the lemon. I've learned from my mistakes as a real estate investor. I've got the lashes on my back as a real estate investor. So I kind of know where I'm going with this. You do not want social faux pas equity deals. They are deals that fundamentally are going to cause you problems into the future. So here's how they kind of work. The first rule is you've got to choose something that locals would buy. You've got to choose something that locals would buy. There's so much real estate locals don't want in, in any city, in any suburb. that they, they just really don't want it. And so it comes to the rising market and because all the good stuff's been sold, the stuff no one really wants to, to buy at a local level seems to be easy to negotiate on. So if locals don't want it, don't buy it. And that might mean like no one wants a two-bedroom house in a four-bedroom house suburb. Everyone wants a four-bedroom house. So why are you settling for the two-bedroom house? So it's kind of understanding at a micro level what really the mass market is in that neighborhood. And again, I think you've got to be very wary in a rising market of buying in a suburb or buying a dwelling which has tenants who are half a week away from being broke. There's inequality occurring in society. And the fact that right now a lot of people want to race into a property market and then they're going, well, I can only afford X and they're about to buy assets where fundamentally the tenants themselves are a liability is nothing short of stupid to me. Don't do it. It is not real equity you will make. You will lose it because if your rents go down, you will lose your equity. To maintain equity or to maintain wealth, you need to have a rising rental market. So the idea of that means you need to buy real estate in a good location where you can put the rent up so that your value continues to grow long after the market stops rising. And I would also point out, I think, if you are buying interstate and you're going to not move state and you're buying a piece of real estate which is um, very far away from you, be mindful of capital improvements, capital costs. Again, I've seen this before in a rising market where someone buys the 45-year-old apartment thinking they're getting a really good deal because it's 300 and the brand new one or the five-year-old one is 450. And all of a sudden, they take on the cheaper one thinking there's some sort of great magic behind holding a really old, rundown asset. And never factor in capital costs, the cost to improve the asset. The asset then just simply attracts rat bags to it. And after the rising market ends, you own what I refer to as a deal which is fundamentally a slum. So you don't become a landlord, you become a slum lord. And there's a big difference between the two. You do not want to end up with equity deals which go backwards when the music stops. So we've got to go out there and find some pretty good real estate in a very tough marketplace to buy real estate. 
Again, going back to the bottom of the market story at the beginning, how valuable is that real estate that you bought if you're listening three years ago? Now you don't have to deal with any of this. You're simply about to go for the ride. And why quite often we coach people that the bottom of the market is, is, is a really good place to own real estate because you get choice, you get proximity, and you get terms. However, the rising market, as I alluded to also at the beginning of this, is going to make people a lot of money. Make people a lot of money. I think I'll make a million dollars over the next short period of time. Other people in my group are going to make hundreds of thousands. Some people are multi-millions in the next period because the market is rising so rapidly. So I think at some point, once you've put these 20 properties and we have a bit of a rule, throw 20 offers out on real estate. Now, depending on where you're buying, um, quite often uh, agents will want you to enter contract to create those offers. So I'm a big advocate of using an offer document, which is fundamentally not a contract. It basically allows you to send or email through some terms and conditions and the price you want. And it fundamentally uh, says, if these terms and conditions are agreed, we will go into due diligence and enter contract. And so quite often in, in, in real estate, um, real estate agents will put a contract in front of your nose and make you sign it there and then. And obviously when you're trying to narrow your focus, the way to try and work around that is as look as professional as possible and use offer documents. And so um, the offer might be conditional upon finance, conditional upon building and press, conditional upon caveat searches and covenants and easement searches and, and so forth, uh, title searches. And the real estate agents, when they receive the OPA document, most of them probably have never seen anything like it, but they will know you're serious and they will keep you in mind and keep talking to you to bring and narrow down an opportunity with you. I think it is important at some point to go from 20 offers down to five. You've got to eventually narrow your focus. However, you don't want to narrow your focus day one because you just end up spending all this time and energy on a property that you probably won't buy. And then the next property that comes along, you get impatient, so you jump in, right? Patience is a big virtue when it comes to negotiating in a rising marketplace. So you're going to narrow your focus. Obviously, choose a suburb to eventually focus on. Then inside that suburb, you want to choose uh, some streets to focus on. You want to kind of map out the suburb, the good bits, the bad bits, the emerging bits, the bits of the suburb which are perhaps being reborn um, as an opportunity of gentrification you want to work out um, all about the suburb. Now, remember, in a suburb, there are good streets, there are bad streets. There is the right side of the tracks, the wrong side of the tracks. And so as a person buying in a rising marketplace, you've got to just make sure that, you know, that street is considered decent enough to own real estate in. And quite often, that is as simple as driving down the street uh, during the day or driving down at night time, just uh, having a good look around and just making sure it's an appealing street. Remember, street appeal in real estate is very important. The nicer looking the street, quite often the better the value is of that neighborhood. So you're going to narrow down your options. You want to map out your suburb and eventually you want to map out understanding your suburb where the what we often refer to as the dress circle is, and kind of then start to work out how far away you are from the best parts of that neighbourhood. And quite often, the further you go in that neighbourhood, obviously the difference in price um, as a general rule, 
and uh, that can be something that you've just got to manage knowing obviously your budget. So I have a bit of a due diligence matrix and in that due diligence matrix, there's all sorts of things to think about. Proximity to the dress circle, proximity to infrastructure, proximity to jobs, proximity to CBD centres, proximity to cafes. All of these things are in the proximity section. Remember, today it's very good to find real estate where your proximity uh, is a walkable proximity. Um, So if you can walk to the coffee shop, that's great. If you can walk to the Coles, that's great. If you can walk to the bus stop, that's awesome, or to the train station. So due diligence tip number one, think about proximity. Due diligence tip number two is working out the maths, okay? So every time you start to look at a property, you've got to understand its running costs. What are the rates going to be? What are the property management fees going to be? The strata fees, the council rates, the insurances. uh, What are all of the costs of the asset going to be so that you can work out your true income versus your true expenses. And you've got to factor in, which I think is one of the biggest mistakes of all property investors, future capital costs. Now, in two episodes or so, I'm going to explain to you future capital costs because it is the biggest mistake property investors make. They go out and they invest in something which is old and run down and it just becomes a money pit. It becomes a money pit because they don't want to spend the $100,000 to upgrade it. Because when they bought it, they thought buying uh, secondhand and 40 years old was a smart thing to do. But in their analysis, forgot to add in future capital costs. How much does it cost to upgrade a roof? How much does it cost to upgrade electrics? How much does it cost to unblock old plumbing pipes. All of these things can come and wipe you down as a property investor. So you got to be really, really smart. My tip to you is probably avoid, um, unless you're a makeover kind of investor, a renovator, probably avoid stuff with major capital costs. So you got to work out your mathematics. You've also got to work out, again, that you're buying a property which can be sold if you need to offload it. This is the toughest part in a rising marketplace because there's so much real estate out there that fundamentally are lemons that cannot be sold in a slow marketplace. I own one. I'm going to take it to market later in the year and offload it to someone and make that problem someone else's problem. It's not going to be mine into the future. And again, that property that I own just simply does not attract a local buyer or a local owner-occupier wanting to live in it. Now, here's the thing you've got to really comprehend is that that when you take ownership of a property – You've taken the good bits of the property, but you've also taken the bad bits of the property. And quite often, it's easy to understand if you're buying a bad asset, if the seller of the property is actually also a property investor. Because the argument is, if they have not seen any rises in value, and you can easily check that using RP Data Core Logic what people paid for the asset, why are they selling it in such a low rate a marketplace? Because it's fundamentally uh, easy to get a cheap loan right now and it's easy to make money out of cash flow renting properties. So why are they selling? What is going on? And unless it's the six Ds, divorce, distress, uh, quite often it means that asset is just an underperformer And that investor just wants to pass it on to another investor. So my rule of thumb is, particularly in the second-hand marketplace, you've got to buy someone off someone who fundamentally is a home buyer, a homeowner, 
Might have lived there 10 years. Might have lived there 20 years. They love the place. They put their heart and soul into the place and they weren't, uh, it wasn't uh, uh, an investor selling to another investor. Just a rule of thumb. Doesn't always work out that way, but just something to consider in your due diligence as you're checking through these kind of things. Uh, you can do all sorts of research. Um, however, one of the things you need to be wary of as a buyer in a rising market, if you're slow with your researching and if you become a real stickler for you know, little things like working out, you know, what bus, uh, where does the bus route go and things like that, you're taking forever, you're probably going to miss the opportunity to buy the asset because it'll be sold to someone else. You obviously want to research fair market price and you often do that by looking at what else is being sold in the marketplace at any one time. You want to work out your rental returns, the age of the property, the depreciation you can get out of the property, opportunities to fix the property. You want to work out uh, demographics of the neighbourhood, the socioeconomics of the neighbourhood. So you've got a lot of research to do to make sure that you're comfortable buying an investment um, in potentially a neighbourhood you know nothing about. Now, when you narrow down where you want to buy... Uh, quite often you can start to look at the ripple within the suburb. The ripple usually starts at the dress circle, like the best streets, and you can start to work out, well, wow, people just paid um, in that particular asset, which is a better street, they paid $40,000 um, uh, more than what I was thinking of paying. So you can start to work out, the mathematics by looking at everything that's sold in that suburb. Understanding there is obviously a ripple point in price, size, and location. Now, of course, uh, if you happen to research a suburb, it is also very good to have a look at the suburbs next door so you can start to formulate whether you're actually better off maybe drifting one suburb further out because of the value chain and the value um, uh, transformation from suburb to suburb. Now, I've done this before. I've found suburbs where the median property value is $800,000 and you go one more kilometre to another suburb and it drops to $500,000. At some point, one would argue that uh, if both areas fundamentally have the same amenities and infrastructure, there's going to be a value uplift on the emerging suburb. So again, these are some of the things you can start to put together when you're doing your research. I like to choose safe suburbs to buy in um, with low crime rates. And the reason is, Again, I'm a landlord, not a slumlord. I want great tenants in my property. I want to be able to put my tenants up in tenants' rents up into the future. And to do that, you fundamentally just need to buy real estate where quite often people feel very safe. And so I have a bit of a checklist. I'll give it to you. The first one is exactly that: finding a safe suburb, finding a suburb which is got good employment connectivity, good economic opportunities for people to go to work nearby, um, has a good standard of living, um, the people of the neighbourhood care about the neighbourhood, uh, it is clean, well-maintained, unpolluted, it's got good public transport, uh, an area that's got um, uh, good levels of minimal traffic congestion, people can get around, people can live, work and play in those neighbourhoods, good schools, good educational facilities, um, a good range of different real estate, different design real estate. It's not all the same. It's uh, fundamentally different architecture, different periods. I like um, suburbs which have very good outdoor space, um, great outdoor recreational environments. This is, again, if you've heard me talk, this is so important today, what we often talk to about that third place. 
Today, owning real estate in an area is much about owning the asset as the neighborhood. People now rely on their neighborhood so uh, much. So if it's got cycle paths, if it's got um, beaches, if it's got great parklands or bushland, it's probably going to be very, very popular as a neighborhood. Again, if it's got great cultural uh, sophistication, it's going to be popular. Cultural sophistication, theatres, night spots, restaurants, bars, markets, all these things make a very good investment suburb to choose. Uh, if the area's just got really good, um, you know, natural light, you know, how does it face? Is it a is it a is it a dark suburb or is it a light suburb? Is it a suburb which is artistic and has um, a level of attraction for people of all walks of life and all age groups? Uh, diversity is such an important thing to make up a future growth neighbourhood. And again, I think today, if an area is sustainable with all of that, it means your investment is going to sustain itself for a very long time. And so you've got to go out and start to throw offers out in a very difficult marketplace. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. You've got to have your offer documents lined up. You've got to then narrow your focus understanding what makes a really good location, then narrow your focus understanding in that location what is a good value-orientated street, then you've got to narrow your focus even further and buy a dwelling which is matching what the demographics of the neighbourhood absolutely wants. So you've got a bit of work to do and then you find the deal. You haven't even found the deal at this point. Now let's propose you've found the deal. So you've got to start to now formulate an offer which goes to contract. And this is where, again, in your research, you've got to ask questions like, what type of offers have been on the deal? Uh, has the vendor purchased another property? What settlement terms does the vendor prefer? How long have they owned the property? What was the property used for? Was it an owner-occupier or was it an investor? Who is the tenant if it's an investor? Uh, all these kind of things, you've got to start to get to the bottom of the motivation of the seller so you can now move in and make this kind of uh, ultimate offer on this property. And of course, remember, you've got to be sensible. No one's in distress, right? So forget about that. You missed that boat. You're now in the sensible space. But thankfully, a rising market is not what we call a hot market. Hot market comes after a rising market. And a hot market means you have to pay ridiculous amounts of money to buy real estate. And quite often in a hot market, we would probably advise you to go play golf instead of buying a property, okay? So, uh, again, for me, I break it down using my Forex growth plan. Now, guys and girls, you've heard me talk about this a lot, the Forex growth plan, simple plan, buy well, in this case, buy sensible, buy a good location, buy a market which is rising, which is now most cities. Brisbane and Melbourne look like the best value at the moment when it comes to the eastern seaboard from major areas. Um, and of course, then use some behavioral logic to buy a property which has perhaps got a good amenity or good orientation or a nice little view or a good little outlook or a great backyard or uh, good sunlight piercing into the home or, or to the apartment or to the villa. So again, that Forex growth plan is a big plan and something that I teach a lot about. And if you ever need some help or coaching around the Forex growth plan, I'm always here for you. The main thing though, is once you make your offers, uh, you want to narrow your focus and you don't want to dither. At some point, you have to enter contract and you have to uh, buy the property. And this is where it's really important that you've got an A-grade team to help you do this. And in particular, probably a contracted lawyer 
to look over the contract terms and conditions to make sure that you're not going to walk into an absolute train wreck you can't get out of. Don't skimp here. Too many people in a rising market spend a lot on due diligence and then get frustrated because they've spent thousands of dollars doing searches and not getting an asset. You know, the average person out there buying in a rising market might burn about eight to $12,000 in due diligence, having contracts reviewed, doing building and pests, getting strata reports um, activated, uh, doing soil testing, doing surveys, uh, doing plumbing reports, doing sewage diagrams. All of that costs money. And you need to narrow down your focus so that you're buying a property which, again, just makes so much sense. I remember in the last real rising marketplace that uh, Australia went through, probably back in 13, 14, uh, many people spent dollars $50,000 on research and missed out on 15 to 20 deals before they found the one which worked. And I know that sounds crazy, but that is what the real world is like. Quite often, a good buyer's agent, a good investment team, um, people like my company can absolutely minimize this because we kind of got all the tools and pros and we have contract lawyers who work in our company. We have uh, uh, people who understand this type of stuff. So, We've already got the infrastructure to, to fundamentally do this, but today I'm talking to you as if you're going out on your own accord. Don't skimp because if you miss out on, uh, on something really, really small, it could come back to haunt you. My tip again is probably forget the stuff with the expensive capital costs. The reason is that stuff quite often has unexpected ongoing um, extra costs which you just don't factor in and quite often pick up things like asbestos, things like termites, things like um, uh, you know plumbing and sewerage issues that you just can't pick up walking through a home. My advice, I reckon, is find a good balance by new, by near new, um, and quite often you're probably going to get something if it's been built by a good team and a uh, good group that is, um, that, is, that is proven. Or buy something in a proven neighbourhood which of course has stood the test of time and owner occupies and lived there and loved it. Obviously, uh, real estate which is unloved in a rising market, be wary, real estate which is well and truly loved in a rising market, it's probably a safe bet to get into to buy real estate without expending a small fortune on your due diligence. Now, you can use uh, my 101 questions to um, ask real estate agents questions. I've got my 101 questions to buy a real estate deal. I'm going to post them in the show notes more than welcome to use them. Now, I guarantee you if you use all 101 on a real estate agent, you'll probably scare that real estate agent off. But I guarantee you also that there's a good 25 in there that make perfect sense for you to um, tackle with a real estate agent. The other 75 will help you do your research as a going concern on a particular suburb or area or real estate deal. So if that sounds like it is going to be helpful, I will put it in the show notes. I tell you what, guys, there's so much to cover here. I just simply don't have enough time. I may come back and do a part two. I don't know. I don't know if we cracked the code. I don't know if this episode did the job. I really don't know anymore. Uh, let me know, send me a message, um, give me a review if you thought the episode helped crack part of the code. Um, i tell you what, as I said at the start of the episode, should we even do the episode? Uh, I don't know in the end, but 
It's done now. So thanks very much, everyone, for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. Once again, I'm your host, Sam Saggers, tuning off. Take care and bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.